He also comforts us by his word. And I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles now. And if you'll turn with me, our sermon text this morning is uh, Matthew chapter 14. And we'll be reading verses 22 to 33 of the 14th chapter of Matthew's gospel. These are the words of the Lord. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night he came to them, walking on the sea, But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. The grass withers, the flower fades. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray. Our Father, these are Your words, and we are reminded in Isaiah's prophecy that Your word never returns to You void. It always does the work for which You determine it. We remember that Your word is sharper than a two-edged sword. It, it divides the joint and the marrow, the soul and the spirit. It goes into the very inner part of a man. It reveals our thoughts. It reveals our intentions. It reveals our motivations. And so this morning, O oh Father, as we compare ourselves to Your Word, as we think about it, we ask for Your blessing. We ask that You'd work in us by Your Spirit to conform us to the image of our precious Lord Jesus in whose name we pray, amen. I, I, th- I think that um, in, in their childhood, every one of our children at some point had a blanket. Don't tell them I, I told you this. But I think every one of them had a blanket. And one child in particular had, this, had a special blanket that had all around the edges of the blanket, it had these tags and that particular, particular child on, to go to sleep would lay and, and hold those tags between its fingers and just rub them back and forth. And that's how sleep would come. It was a source of comfort. It, was a, 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 it suckered the soul, as it were. Even maybe when a storm would arise, that blanket was, was taken and held onto. So you can imagine what would happen if you take that blanket away. That source of comfort goes away, doesn't it? And all of a sudden, you, you sense 
your, your personal inadequacy. I need this. I need that therapy for myself in order to feel comfort. And so as we come to this passage, I want to, to bring to your mind the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ and how that affected His followers, His disciples in that moment. Because while they were with Him and in His presence, they knew His comfort. They, they had moments like this where Jesus was with them and He could speak His words of wisdom. They could always look to Him for strength. He was the one who knew what to say in the right situation. He, in every situation, He never got it wrong. Well, when He went up from them, they were by themselves. And in their minds, you can see, their comforter was taken away. Their king was gone. It's just us. And so when Jesus ascended, when He told them, I'm going away from you, the disciples were concerned. But do you remember that Jesus said, He said, it must be this way. I have to go. Because that is better for you. And what I'm going to suggest to you this morning from this passage is that Matthew is teaching you how Christ, in His ascended place right now, prays for you and He ministers to you right now. Matthew shows us how the prayers of the Lord Jesus Christ descend from Mount Zion and they comfort you in a very real way. And what we see from this passage is that Jesus, as our high priest, He prays for us, He comforts us, and He rescues us from danger. And in response, we worship Him as our King and mediator. We're going to see four things this morning that Jesus prays for us, Jesus comforts his people, Jesus rescues and strengthens his people, and then Jesus enables his people to worship him. Now, remember that as we think about where we are in, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus had left the city of Nazareth, and you probably remember why he did that. Um, John the Baptist's disciples came to Jesus and they said, uh, we just buried John's body. Not his head, just his body. Because Herod beheaded him and probably told him what had happened. And so Jesus, we remember, he, Matthew says he withdrew from that place. And when we read that someone withdraws from somewhere in the Gospels, usually that means they're avoiding danger. So perhaps Jesus, recognizing the danger, realizing as well that it wasn't his time to die, he went off into a deserted place, an isolated place, a place away from people, probably to pray. But you remember what happened, don't you? Jesus is crossing on the boat to get away to an isolated place, and he gets to the shore. Before he even gets there, he lifts up his eyes, and what does he see? All the people <laughs> come to greet him. But he doesn't greet them with anger. 
He doesn't shake his fist at, him, at them. He doesn't chastise his disciples. He doesn't say, why didn't you lead them by the other way? Take the long way at least so I get five minutes to myself. Jesus lifted up his face and he saw the people and he was moved with compassion. And he fed them miraculously, just as God fed Israel in the wilderness, the isolated, desolate place. Although the hour was already late, we read here in Matthew 14, Jesus dismissed the disciples and the crowds. We see that two times in verses 22 and 23. And he went off by himself to pray. So when the fourth hour of the night came, now this is between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. The perfect time to pray. I know you're all up probably praying between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. Jesus went off to pray. And it was at this same time that he walked on the sea to reach the disciples in the boat, which resulted in a confession, a confession of faith. What is all this supposed to show us? Well, there are a lot of things that we see the power of Christ, don't we? Walking on the sea. We see his love for these men. We see Peter and his feeble faith. But I think particularly this whole narrative, Matthew wants you to see Christ as the high priest who prays for you and whose benefits come to you even from heaven. Let's notice first of all that Jesus prays for his people in verses 22 to 25. Jesus, in his humanity, he goes off by himself uh, to get into an isolated place. He went up on a mountain by himself to pray Matthew records for us. I'm going to suggest to you that the fact that he went up on a mountain is significant. Why, why, would, why would Matthew mention the place at all? The geography of the place if it wasn't significant for you to know? Remember that this isn't the first mountaintop scene we've seen in Matthew's Gospel, is it? Remember that Jesus went up on a mountain and his disciples came up to him there in Matthew 5 and he sat down and it was on that mountain that he expounded the law of God to his men. Why? Because it's a picture of Moses as the mediator. Mountains are significant in Scripture, aren't they? Eden... The garden that God created for Adam and Eve was located on a mountaintop. So that when they were thrust out of Eden, they dwelt at the bottom of that mountain and their way back was guarded by two angels and a flaming sword. They couldn't ascend. And so in Psalm 24, this, there's a very real reason that the psalmist says there, who shall ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who's going to go back up? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Remember that the law was given to Israel where? On a mountaintop. It was given to them on the top of a mountain. And in Exodus chapter 19, we see Moses is going up and down and up and down and up and down. And all of the people are told, you can only go this far. Don't even touch the mountain. It is holy. And we remember as well that the dwelling place of God now is described as what? Mount Zion. But I want to draw your attention especially to the image of the tabernacle. 
You remember that when God in, in Exodus chapter 22 and follow, 21 and following, He begins to tell Moses how to construct that tabernacle. And you remember, don't you, that there were three areas. There was, there was the outer t- tent, and so the priests would go in, and that's where they would offer the sacrifices. And they would come to that tent door, kind of like a, a, a mountain, the bottom of a mountain where there was a gate. They would bring their sacrifices there, and the, the, the priest would retrieve that sacrifice and bring it inside the tabernacle, and he would offer it on the altar. That was the courtyard. There was another gate to go into the the inner part of the tabernacle. And there was a lampstand and there was a table for showbread and there was an altar for incense. Now I want you to think about this for me just for a second. Once a year, the priest would go into that inner sanctuary and he would light that incense. And what would happen, do you think? Well, the the incense would burn. And that incense would burn and it would probably fill that part of the sanctuary with smoke. And so once a year, that high priest, he would pierce that smoke and he would go into the very footstool of God's throne, the Ark of the Covenant. And he would sprinkle that Ark with blood. Why is that significant? Why the smoke? Well, because when Moses ascended that mountain, he went up into the smoke. So the very tabernacle, do you see, itself is a representation. It was a moving representation of Mount Sinai to the people of God. And they would see year by year their high priest ascending that mountain to offer sacrifice in their place. He was going into that mountain to reconcile them to God. And a part of that was he would confess their sins over a goat and they would release one goat away from the mountain and he would go off into the wilderness the desolate place and one goat would be offered for their sins the mountaintop then is the picture of the place of mediation It is the place where the chosen mediator would go to do the work of reconciling his people to God Why does Jesus go up on the mountain to pray? Because He is the high priest of all priests. Matthew is pointing out to you this geography so that you will remember and see here Christ is going up. Why? To reconcile His people to God. And how is He doing that? He's praying. Did you know that it is an essential work of Christ to pray for you. Did you know that? When the mediator ascends, in other words, when Moses passed through the smoke and he couldn't be seen by the people, when the high priest went into the very inner part of the sanctuary and he couldn't be seen by the people, And when Christ ascended up into heaven and He couldn't be seen by His people anymore, we are reminded that He has gone away to do good. 
And the good that He is doing for you right now is He has reconciled you to God by His death, but He is also praying for you every moment of every day that God will supply you with the covenant blessings. This is what Christ is doing. And so Jesus' prayer is Matthew's focus in this passage. He reminds you that Jesus prays for you. When the mediator goes away, he goes away to do you good. He presents himself to the Father in your behalf. That's what Christ has done. And he seeks the covenant benefits to be given to you. I want you to think just for a minute, how does Jesus pray for you? What are, what are some of the things that Jesus is praying for you right now? Turn over with me to uh, 1 John chapter 2. First John chapter 2 gives us an important picture of the ministry of Christ seated on the pinnacle of Mount Zion as He works for His people. First John 2.1 My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the Righteous. Now, let's just dispel a bad picture. You, you could read that verse and say, every moment of every day, the Father is ready to put me to death, and it's only because Jesus is praying for me that He doesn't do that. that that's a picture that you could take away from that. But every moment, what, what's actually happening in 1 John chapter 2 is Jesus is advocating for you, and what He's saying in that prayer is, Father... I have fulfilled the, the covenant that you gave to me. Everything that you told me to do to redeem this people, I have fulfilled. So this is what we need to bring to mind. When the devil would tempt you to despair, saying the Father won't accept me, you remind the devil that yes, Christ is advocating for me right now. Jesus is praying for you. He's advocating for all of the benefits of the covenant to be given to you. Now, you can turn back. Matthew 14. Remember that you always have an advocate before the Father. He has ascended the mountain of God to advocate for you. In John 17, the high priestly prayer. Do you know Jesus gives us a great picture of how He prays for you? What's He praying for? Well, He's asking God to keep you in the faith. Don't let them stray. Don't let my, my brothers and my sisters stray. Preserve them, O oh Father. Keep them. He's praying that, that God would give His Spirit and sanctify you. That He would help you to, to see your sin, to repent of it, and know newness of life and walk in the covenant stipulations. He's praying for unity. Father, cause them to be one even as you and I are one and the Spirit Jesus is praying for you. But I think specifically as we turn our attention to Matthew 14 here, we see some specific ways that the prayers of Christ come down the mountain. Because He doesn't stay on the mountain, does He? He doesn't stay there praying. But His blessings come down with Him. 
Notice, secondly, not only does Jesus pray for his people, but Jesus comforts his people in verses 26 to 27 of Matthew chapter 14. Let's read that together. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. You see what happens here. Jesus, even though he's, he comes to them walking on the water, this is a matter of complete indifference to him. Even though the, the storm is blowing and the waves are high, he walks across the water. It, it is nothing for him. He displays his absolute power. But he doesn't still the sea. He simply walks across it. And when he gets to his disciples, how do they respond? Who is that? And they were terrified. Jesus' approach struck fear in the apostles' hearts. But what did he do? He comforted them. He spoke peace to them. It's me. Don't be afraid. It is me. Take heart. Be courageous. It's me, your Savior, your mediator. And I think it's important here that we recognize how Jesus gave peace to his disciples. It was by his word. So one way that the prayers of Jesus descend from the mountain to, to bless you is when you commune with him through his word and he reminds you to take heart, to be courageous, not to be afraid. Remember that in Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, we are reminded that, that the man of God is not one who takes counsel from sinful men. He, he doesn't stand in the path of, of sinners or sit in the seat of the scornful. None of that. What does he do? He meditates on the law of God day and night. Why does he do that? Was it because he went to vacation Bible school for 15 years of his life, and that's what his vacation Bible school teachers told him that he needed to do. Read your Bible. Well, maybe. If that's the only reason, he's not getting a lot of benefit from it, is he? But the reason that the man of God meditates on the Word is because that Word comforts him. And he doesn't just read it, but remember that idea of meditation means that he rolls it around in his mouth like a fine wine. He rolls it around on his mind and he thinks about it over and over. This is the idea of spending time actually allowing the thoughts of the Lord Jesus Christ to become my thoughts. Reading the Word, pondering it, meditating it, so that when I come out of my prayer closet or, or my Bible reading closet, I've actually grown in wisdom. And now I'm thinking like Christ a little bit more. And when I think like Christ, what happens? His comfort comes to me. He comforts me. How does He comfort us? Well, because He reminds you of such things as this world is not all there is, beloved. You're not like the folks whose only hope is in what they establish for themselves in this life. In fact, 
that you can let those things go because I have prepared a place for you. And the promises that I give to you are not just for some future place, but they're for the here and now. I am the God who right now dwells in your midst. I am the one who is with you, and I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Even when, listen, he would say, even when the guilt of sin would take you below the surface of the waves, remember, I will lift you up. I am the one who, according to Zephaniah, will sing over you. This is how Jesus comforts you now. And this is what He's praying for you. Lord, comfort my people. He's praying for you specifically that when you open His Word and you read His words and you meditate on His words, He's praying that His Spirit would cause that Word to bear fruit in your life. That's what He's praying. Thirdly, we see that Jesus rescues and strengthens His people in verses 28 to 31. This is one of our favorite places to pick on the Apostle Peter because certainly we have all been bolder and more courageous than he was. None of us would have sunk. But here's the rock And yes, the rock on the waters sinks. Notice with me verses 28 to 31. Peter said to him, and you can sort of imagine this, can't you? Here's all the other men, and they're afraid. And he says, not only was I not afraid, I'm actually going to walk too. Peter says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water, like Christ, and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And he rescued Peter. I think as we, th- as we look at this, it's important for us to acknowledge a couple things here. Why Peter sunk and how Jesus rescued him. Why did, why did Peter sink? Why did he begin to sink? And well, we could take the scientific explanation. Well, his body mass is he's denser than water, and so he began to sink below the surface. Right? There's the scientific explanation, but Jesus doesn't offer us the scientific explanation for this. Why did Peter begin to sink? What did he do? Well, notice what Matthew records for us in verse 30. When he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Why did Peter begin to sink? He began to sink because he took his eyes off of the Lord Jesus and he began to look at his circumstances. 
suddenly he realized how tall the waves were. Suddenly he realized where his feet were planted. Suddenly he began to think scientifically. According to science, I should not be standing upon these waters and walking with Christ. Suddenly his thoughts became encumbered by sin, and looking at his circumstances, what happened? Fear filled his heart. And this is what happens to you and me too, isn't it? How often, I wonder, throughout an ordinary day, do you start to think about tomorrow? Or next week? Or next year? And some of you, your hearts are filled with hope. You say, oh, I can't wait for this to happen. Some of you, your hearts are filled with fear. There have been numerous times in my own life where adverse events happened and I thought, okay, if if this happens, I I have to do X, Y, and Z. I, I, don't know, I don't know what we're going to do. And suddenly what happens? I find that my heart becomes overwhelmed. And I'm afraid. I can't go to sleep. My heart is filled with anxiety and doubt about what's going to happen. And this is what happened to Peter too. His focus was on his circumstances. Recently, um, recently we've been reading... Uh, the screw tape letters by C.S. Lewis, and there's one particular letter from screw tape to Wormwood, and he's he's talking about the the patient they call the man that the demon has been assigned to, and what he wants for that man is I don't want him to be overly afraid, and I don't want him to be overly hopeful about the future. What I want to do is maintain him between hope and fear. I want him just to be confused. And this is what the devil wants for you as well. So that you won't walk with confidence in Christ. Peter cried out. He looked at his circumstances. His heart was filled with fear. And he cried out. And notice how Jesus responds. I want you to notice, I want you to notice what he doesn't do and what he does. What did Jesus not do? Well, he didn't say, oh, my bad, Peter. Hang on. Peace be still. Now you're okay. I took the circumstances away. I took the source of your fear away, Peter. Now you're okay. Jesus didn't do that. He didn't remove the difficulty, did he? The reason for that is Peter didn't need different circumstances. What Peter needed was a greater trust in Christ. He needed to return his focus to Christ. And this is what's true of you and me as well. When when you feel your heart begin to despair and to become encumbered by worry and anxiety and there's pain in your chest and you're breathing hard and you don't know what to do, you need to look back to Christ and press out the thoughts that are overwhelming you by pressing in the Word. 
Peter needed stronger faith. And this is what Jesus says to him. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? Why did you look at your circumstances and think, Jesus can't do anything about this. God never thought about this situation that I'm in today. Peter didn't need different circumstances. You and I don't need different circumstances. We need to remember that every affliction, every circumstances we walk through has been ordained by God. We trust that every, every affliction in life, everything that I think of as negative, everything that's taking away from my hopes and visions for the future are ordained by God and they are ordained to do one thing in your life. And do you know what it is? Turn your eyes to Christ. If you're over hoping, man, if I just check these boxes, I'm getting that promotion this time next year. Turn your eyes to Christ. If you're overwhelmed and you're afraid and you're thinking, oh, if I don't get this grade on this test, I'm not going to be on the dean's list. God says, turn your eyes to me. And it's not that we don't think about these things or plan for these things. We do. But we do those things in subordination to the will of God. This is where, listen, this is where we learn Christ and we obtain His comfort is in those moments of affliction. This is how Christ ministers to you. Ultimately, you remember that when you're overwhelmed or you're overly hopeful, in that moment, when you cry out and you say, Lord, save me, His hand comes out. and pulls you up from beneath the waves. We remember this is a physical picture in Matthew chapter 14 of God's promise that He will never leave us or forsake us. And you say, well, I don't have the hand of Christ right now. I can't see Him. I can't feel His physical touch. But beloved, you have something better. Because when Christ ascended, He sent His Spirit. And when you cry out for help and you're overwhelmed, you remember two things that Christ has prayed for you and He is praying for you right now. That He is your King and that He sits on His throne. He has ascended up into heaven and that He rules over all the rulers of the earth and that He sends forth His Spirit not just to pull you up above the waves, but to give you the faith that you need to walk upon them. It's not His will for you to be afraid. And I think there's a significance here of the disciples rowing their way across the sea. Biblically, this is the image of chaos. You remember that God in the very beginning, He... He calmed the sea. The Spirit was hovering on the, 
on the formless void and he, made, he brought order out of that disorder. And the way that he does that in your life is by strengthening your faith. He takes the chaos and the disorder of your life in the midst of fear and he strengthens your faith and suddenly the lands part and you're at peace. But you need to understand that Jesus, Jesus will not always give you a change of circumstance. Sometimes he does. But his greater will is to strengthen your faith by his spirit. Think about these prayers. In John 17, verses 14 to 15, Jesus said, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. You see, even in the midst of the apostles' severe affliction that would ultimately lead to their death by persecution, Jesus said, I don't pray that you take them out of the world. Think about Luke 22, verses 31 to 32. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you and none of that's going to happen, Peter. I fixed it. That's not what Jesus said, is it? But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. As Jesus sits on his throne as your advocate and he prays for you, he is not always going to remove the circumstances that cause you fear and concern and overwhelm you. But he will pray that in the midst of that, your faith becomes stronger as you commune with him by his word so that what causes you fear will be replaced by faith. How do I pray for that? How do I pray for that? Well, when you are afraid, one, you say, Lord, here I am, like Peter, sinking beneath the waves. Just like we prayed this morning. I confess, my faith is weak. I don't trust you like I should. Forgive me. And help me by your Spirit. Help me to trust you. I've meditated on your word, Lord. Help me to remember the song of Miriam who said, you've cast the horse and his rider into the midst of the sea. Help me to, to remember all the ways that you've lifted me above the waves throughout the course of my life. Help me to see you spiritually and to remember your love for me. Because even though you don't have the physical hand of Christ you have his spirit. Lastly, fourthly, Christ rescues and strengthens his people. Lastly, he enables us to worship. Remember, as we look at this, that all that Christ does is for the glory of God. Verse 32, and when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. This is the end. This is what Jesus is ultimately praying for you. Jesus is praying that as you go through these afflictions and as your faith grows, that ultimately you will be perfected in your ability to worship God rightly. 
and that your communion with him will grow and that you will sense, even though he is distant from you because he has ascended, you will sense his hand by his spirit, through his word, as you make the faithful profession. And what is it? You are the son of God. You know, one of the first signs of a man's conversion is that he longs to worship. He longs to worship. He longs to meet with God's people because there is his joy. Jesus, as our high priest, he prays for us, he comforts us, he rescues us from danger, even from his seat on, the, on Mount Zion. And in response, we worship him as our king and mediator. You know, Peter, the one whom Christ lifted above the waters, you know, in his first epistle, he said this, though you don't see him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him, and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Jesus is physically absent from us now. And he is seated at the Father's right hand where all of his enemies are being made a footstool for his feet. But even though he's physically absent, he's spiritually present with the same power that walked on the water, with the same power that raised Peter above the waters, The ascended Christ has gone up into heaven to seek your good, where he prays for you and administers to you the benefits of his covenant. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you appointed the Lord Jesus Christ to be the mediator of this blessed covenant. We thank you that he has ascended And he hasn't just ascended as a spiritual man, but as a a human. He has gone up into your presence, giving us the certainty that those who are in him and clothed in his righteousness will also ascend to be in your presence where we shall live forever. Lord, we pray. We pray for your comfort. We pray for your rescue. We pray that you would strengthen our faith. Help us to look upon you, O Lord, and to find there our great peace. We pray in your name. Amen.